Harvest 19 is all but over, for many anyway, but as ever, in its wake, we know what comes next. Hair courses. Today on the programme, the fight to stop the illegal sport and why it's crucial that fight succeeds. People very much misunderstand hair coursing and uh, think it's about the specific activity, which it is in part, but it's often linked to serious and organised crime and lots of other criminality. We actually had a, a member that had his nose broken. All he went to do was shut the gate after he'd combined a field, and the hair coursers thought he was trying to stop them from getting in the land, and they attacked him with an iron bar. Often the people that come to do hair coursing will intimidate others. They'll intimidate the the farm owners and they uh, they can be very aggressive. The main issue for me is the the way that it makes rural communities, rural families, farming communities feel vulnerable. Yes, we'll hear stories of those worst affected and we speak with the police who are tackling the criminals. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. Yes, another September is upon us and with it the threat again of hair coursing on our farms. Believe me, I hope there will become a time when we don't have to return to the issue. But for now, it is very much still an issue, and therefore one we will keep discussing. This year, 12 police forces have joined together to try and tackle it, under the banner Operation Galileo, following the lead of Lincolnshire Police, which has seen significant reductions in hair coursing over recent years. More from them in a moment. First, the effects it has on farmers and landowners. Our reporter Oliver Pridmore has spent the day on one farm affected, speaking with a whole plethora of people about the issue. First, Claire Wright from the CLA. Yeah, our members are reporting that they're seeing increased levels of violence um, when they inadvertently get in the way of these people, but we also see damage to fences, hedges and also the crops um, caused by them driving their vehicles over it. So there's a big sense of intimidation then for farmers when hair courses are on their land? Very much so, and um, our members, they live in very isolated rural communities, so the effect on being a victim of crime is disproportionate to that of somebody in, say, the, the centre of Lincoln. And there is a big sense of financial loss as well, as well as that feeling of vulnerability? There is, totally. Um, I mean, some of these crops can be worth hundreds of thousands of pounds, and, you know, they've been driven all over, completely damaged, and that's, that's a crop that's not necessarily going to be harvested. Um, when you add into that that they've probably been through your gates, they've damaged um, quite big sections of hedging, um, it all starts to, to mount up and that's before you get to sort of the social cost and, and how anxious and afraid some of our members actually feel. Um, we actually had a, a member that had his nose broken. All he went to do was shut the gate after he'd combined a field and the hair coursers thought he was trying to stop them from getting in the land and they attacked him with an iron bar and he's a big lad but he was left terrified for his life. When they arrive, sort of how many vehicles are they bringing, how many people are they? Um, It really does vary. It can be anything from two men on the land with a couple of dogs um, through to uh, many, many more people, depending on the nature of of the match, as they would call it. Um, So there are hundreds of thousands of pounds being bet on the outcome of these these matches. Um, And they would say that it's entirely for their sport. Um, But the residual damage in terms of animal welfare and crops and and human safety, um, we would like to see it completely stamped out. And then, in terms of that of the betting on the sport, where is that taking place? The betting is the betting aspect of it. Uh, in some cases, we we know that it's being live streamed from the field um, to a safer location um, using three G and four G signals, uh, and that's when the the vast sums of money are being traded on on the outcome. So would you say this is one of the main concerns for your members at the minute, this crime? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a serious organised crime. It's having a massive impact. Um, and we look forward to working with the police to, to see it completely stamped out in the county.
Well, that's uh, Claire Wright at the Country Land and Business Owners Association, the CLA. It's a similar story, too, for members of the National Farmers Union. Now, I appreciate not everyone knows what haircoursing actually is. If you're listening and maybe not in the countryside or not in the industry, then you might wonder what all the fuss is about. Well, here's Danny O'Shea from the NFU explaining it in a bit more detail. So haircoursing is where you, you basically chase a hair for sport. Um, and it has many impacts, one of which is to terrify the animal itself, but also there are wider impacts on the rural community in terms of intimidation of the people that do it. And so talk a bit about the impact it has on farming, the farming community. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's a plethora of impacts, really. Um, the main one for us, really, is the impact that it has on a personal level. So often the people that come to do hair coursing will intimidate others, uh, they'll intimidate the, the farm owners, and the, uh, they can be very aggressive. And how difficult is it, you know, from your perspective, tackling the issue? Uh, it's very difficult. Uh, the police have had a tricky time of it. They have really upped their game in terms of their focus. Uh, they've invested in kit and resources, um, and it is having an impact on the ground, but there is more to do. And obviously, you know, rural crime, it's, it's the big issue for the farm owners. How do you sort of support farmers in tackling rural crime? Well, the first thing you do is you connect with them. You create relationships where you can gather information from those that are being affected, you can listen to them, and then more importantly, actually do something about it, which is, I think, where the police are coming from now. And how, what is the scale of hair coursing at the moment? So two years ago, there was about 1,900 incidents, roughly. And over two years, Lincolnshire Police, uh, through their own efforts and working with our community, uh, have more than halved them to about 800, uh, which is brilliant. But we're here today to really challenge them to try and halve that number again this year. And I know that Phil Vickers, Chief Inspector Phil Vickers, is up for the fight. Danny O'Shea there at the NFU. Now, as mentioned, 12 forces have now come together working with Lincolnshire. They include Humberside, Cambridgeshire, Nottinghamshire, Leicestershire, forces in Yorkshire and Suffolk, among others, all under the banner Operation Galileo. Danny O'Shea mentioned Chief Inspector Phil Vickers. He's the lead for rural crime at Lincolnshire Police and has told Oliver Pridmore about what Galileo actually is. It's an operation we've been running for a good number of years. It's a well-recognised brand locally. Um, The news this year is that we've got 11 other forces, so 12 forces nationally using the Operation Galileo brand, working together to tackle hair coursing. Uh, We've seen some success in Lincolnshire, so um, some good reductions in the number of incidents, Um, but there's more to be done. Um, And by working nationally, we believe that we can tackle the most prolific offenders, the people who cause the greatest harm to to Lincolnshire rural communities. so there has been that good work done in Lincolnshire, but it is about getting it out nationally now, you do think? Yeah, absolutely. So we've been supported by the National Wildlife Crime Unit. Their analyst, uh, based in Glasgow, um, has, has worked with the 12 forces to understand who the offenders are, where they've come from, and provided us with a much better national picture. And that will help us over the next 12 months to, to prevent the offending. That's, that's our main aim. But obviously, if we need to, to, to be able to enforce and, and to look at the wider criminality that our inf- offenders are involved in uh, and to prosecute them wherever we can. And what is the impact that uh, hair coursing can have on farmers? Well, when you look at the, the impact, the, the main issue for me is the, the way that it makes rural communities, rural families, farming communities feel vulnerable. Um, so people coming onto their land, committing offences, threatening, intimidating um, people who, who live in Lincolnshire. Uh, there's also the, the financial cost. We can see easily £5,000 worth of damage from a, um, a hair coursing incident where damage is caused to, to land, to crops, to, uh, to, to, to property um, in, in our rural businesses. 
is. Um, but, but ultimately, it's about the, the feeling of vulnerability. So working with the rural community to, to give us the information as early as possible and give us the best chance of, of preventing it. So for those who don't know then, tell us a bit about how it works in terms of these hair courses, they just pitch up on a farmer's land and then do they start hair coursing straight away or are they intimidating the farmer or how does it usually work? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've seen that uh, the offenders come from quite some distance. Actually, there are relatively few offenders that, are, that, that work out of Lincolnshire, that live in Lincolnshire. So they travel significant distances to, to come to the county. Um, they can be uh, on the land, cause the damage, be involved in hair coursing and gone in a relatively short period of time. That's why we need that, that early information, that early call. Uh, but yeah, it's animal cruelty when you, you see the way that the, the, the hares, that the dogs are treated. Um, there's this significant issue there as well um, but but we're doing all that we can to prevent the offending what has been the picture of rural crime generally recently especially over the summer big challenge um, so it's the rural forces those 12 forces that have come together to, to tackle hair coursing are also the, the forces that have seen the greatest reduction um, in their uh, in their funding in their officer numbers so in Lincolnshire really good weather over the summer um, look on the east coast the number of visitors it's been it's been challenging so um, it, it, it's a difficult environment we've got the support of the local community and that makes a, a big difference for us um, you've seen Mark Jones the police and crime commissioner is here today um, we're getting some support and and there's there's light at the end of the tunnel you know the the, the potential for uh, an increase in the recruitment of officers um, over the next 12 months that'll make a difference it'll take time for those officers to be trained and to come through um, but i'm really hopeful that we'll have an impact on local policing uh, and those new officers will be able to to assist us and support us in reducing rural crime that's chief inspector phil vickers well ollie's guests seem to be handing over to each other don't they danny o'shea mentioned phil vickers phil vickers mentioned mark jones there so i guess we should hear from him he's lincolnshire's police and crime commissioner people very much misunderstand hair coursing and uh, think it's about the specific activity which it is in part but it's often linked to serious and organized crime and lots of other criminality in our rural areas so it's vital that the police take it seriously and clamp down on it and uh, in the last two years we've seen a huge reduction in the number of hair coursing incidents going from nearly 2,000 to around 800 and that's because the police have had the right tools to do the job and to um, get serious about their tactics on it. So it's often not a singular thing, it is, as you say, linked to a bigger organised crime picture, is it? It absolutely is, and certainly arrests that are made would tell you the kind of people that are coming to our county, and it is largely people coming to our county to commit this crime. So we've had arrests that we've then uh, sent people up to other forces, where West Yorkshire notably last year, where people were locked up for many years for multi-million pound drug crimes as a result of being caught hair-coursing in Lincolnshire. So it very much is the pastime of criminal and something that we don't want to see in our county. And tell us a bit about the picture of rural crime uh, as a whole recently as well for farmers in Lincolnshire. Well, rural crime covers many things, and I, I, I like to think of it as rural community safety. So that's everything from older, vulnerable people having their heating oil stolen just before winter, right through to our lead on our church roofs, uh, and farmers losing very expensive items and machinery from their farm. And it's about protecting those rural communities just as much as our urban ones to make sure that the, the police are being effective for them. So there is a lot of work to do. It's very hard with the resources we have. We've got promises of more coming from government 
government, but certainly it's about making sure every penny we spend goes as far as possible. And from your perspective, um, protecting those rural communities as much as the urban ones, is it all about cash or is it, you know, is there other factors like, you know, communication with that community as well? It's absolutely vital we communicate effectively with communities um, and it's also about what we spend our money on. So we have made investments in drones, in 4x4s, mobile computers so the officers um, can have the latest information at their fingertips. That keeps them out of stations and out in our community for longer every single day and that's vital in making sure they can protect the community. So we're doing what we can with the resources we have. Of course we'll always be fighting for more and certainly at the moment we've got a government that's listening to that and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing the results from this year's hair coursing clampdown. I think we all are. Thank you. Police and Crime Commissioner Mark Jones speaking there with Oliver Pridmore. British Sugars this week confirmed the start dates for the 2019-20 campaign. Newark and Bury will be on the 17th of September, so a week on Tuesday, soon be here. Whissington is the 23rd with Cantley on October the 1st. Hopefully we'll uh, hear from Simon Leeds on the programme next week. Back to this week's programme, Sean Spiling is here with the latest agronomy. Sean, uh, autumn's here, I see. Yes, morning, Sean. What a difference to a fortnight ago. 32 degrees a fortnight ago on Bank Holiday Monday, down to the low dizzying heights of 16 degrees now, nearly had to put my cardio on. You can really feel that autumn is upon us. Um, September mornings, you know, when you go out the house and it's chilly, you you can feel a change in the weather. And that affects a lot of things. That's people still putting rape in the ground. That affects a lot of things in terms of the development and the emergence and how quickly things grow away from any damage. Now, that brings us nicely on to the cabbage stem flea beetle because it's been quite a windy week this week. We've had um, windy, blustery conditions all week. And we know that cabbage stem flea beetle adults do not appreciate extremes of weather. They don't like incredible heat. They don't like intense sunlight. They don't like high winds they don't like rain they'll all go into hide mode at that point but they are out there in the field and you can still find them and the trick is you have to hone a skill which is using your peripheral vision so as you walk the field you concentrate four or five feet in front of yourself on the ground and you move very slowly move your feet slowly and you will see in your peripheral vision the adult cabbage stem flea beetle jumping out of the way and if you follow that path you can often see the sunlight glinting off them because they're very highly polished greeny black metallic creatures about four to five millimeters long And you will see them that way. So they are easy enough to find out in the field. The numbers are nothing like what I expected them to be, if I'm going to be perfectly honest. Up until last year, walking fields of oilseed rape, it was unusual for me to find larvae in a plant. Last year, it was unusual for me to find a plant without any larvae in. So the natural assumption is, and looking at the grain stores as the rape started to come in at harvest, the numbers which were in there, it would have the natural assumption was there were going to be masses of them out in the field. Now that may well still happen. This week, where we are now, was when the the bulk of the activity hit quite severely last year. It was much warmer, it was much calmer this time last year, but that's when the activity hit. Now, this year, the numbers seem to be quite a lot lower. I've got a lot of fields we're not seeing any damage in at all, and those fields I've had to treat, in particular where people have removed last year's all-seed rape volunteers too soon, so therefore the cabbage stem flea beetle adults have migrated into the new grown crop because they have no other host to feed on. Where we've had to treat those fields, 
five, six, seven days ago, the new leaves are coming out completely unaffected and also the emerging cotyledon plants which have gone in perhaps a little bit deeper than the plants which are already through, they are also coming through pretty much unaffected. Now that will be a combination of the two things. We have controlled a proportion of the adults with the pyrethroid but also the weather conditions are holding them back from being voracious marauding plague locust type feeders as we expected them to be. So the important thing with all seed rape is that you're not constantly treating the same old damage and that is why it's so important that you're in these fields every day or every other day walking in them and assessing that damage because if the older damage is the only damage you're seeing and the new leaves are unaffected then you seem to have controlled the direct feeding aspect and remember your threshold for damage is when you've got 25% of leaf area affected up to two true leaves of the crop once you get beyond that it's up to 50% of the leaf area but as we saw last year that does not necessarily mean you're going to get away with it in terms of larval infestation and also don't forget about things like cabbage root fly rape winter stem weevil as we go through the season because I think there was quite a bit of rape winter stem weevil damage which was being attributed to cabbage stem flea beetle damage going forward so constant monitoring and understanding which damage is new which damage is old and whether you need to go in absolutely the wrong approach is to just go through every four or five days with a pyrethroid insecticide. That is absolutely wrong. If you're being advised to do that, you need to seriously question the bloke or the lady who's giving you that advice. It is not the right way to proceed because you'll damage an awful lot of predators. There's a little parasitic wasp, for example, called Microtonus brassicae that predates on those adult cabbage stem flea beetle. The birds are all eating the, the beetle as well. So there's an awful lot of things out there which are eating the cabbage stem flea beetle too. We need to protect them uh, and use a pyrethroid as a management tool strategically timed. And that's about it. Now, also, as we're pushing into the, the middle part of September, thoughts start to turn uh, the dreaded wheat drilling. Do we stop and do we start? Well, this year, if ever there was an argument for delaying your wheat drilling until blackgrass timing, even if you're not on blackgrass land, this is the year to start thinking about it. Because we don't have seed dressings anymore that are capable of controlling barley yellow dwarf virus vectors. So the bird cherry oat aphid, the grain aphid, the rose grain aphid, which are numerous out there. You can find them quite easily when you're walking about. If we put wheat in the ground too early, we're working to day degrees, 180 day degrees. Once you get to that, you get a generation moving in. So if you drill later, temperatures are cooler, getting to the point where you need to control those aphids is much longer in length. So therefore, drilling early, your risk of BYDV increases, your risk of infestation with blackgrass increases. So now's the time to think about stale seed beds, getting things in place and use a stale seed bed in the way it's supposed to be used. Remember, the, the clue is in the name. A stale seed bed is something which resembles a seedbed. It is not a ploughed field with horses eggs in it. So now is the time to start planning ahead. Where's the wheat going? Which fields are bad for black grass? Where have you had a problem with BYDV in the past? And start structuring your autumn campaign. So it's all good fun at the moment. The bean harvest has been better than we expected. Brooked beetles are fewer and further between than we saw last year. But we're moving into a new year now and thoughts are turning away from what's just happened into what we can get in the ground next year. So all exciting stuff, Sean. Good morning. Have a good day. Exciting or not. Thank you, Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services.
On to the latest from the Open Field team then. Jerome Fielder has our report this week. Morning, Jerome. Hi, Sean. Markets have recovered towards the end of this week, with Liffey Wheat futures opening on Friday morning at £134.25 on November 19, an increase of £2.40 over the last five trading days. The support comes from the change in view of a no-deal Brexit on 31st of October to a now more likely postponement and general election, but a lot is still to be played out. The possible delay to Brexit has strengthened the pound though, so we are less export competitive. Looking more closely at the wheat market, the negativity pervading all markets is coming from the political arena, predominantly the US-China trade spat following a fresh round of tit-for-tat on tariffs despite utterings of progress in the talks by President Trump. The frost threat on US corn has been removed by weather services for the next weeks, so no threat to late maturing corn crops, which has further put pressure on prices. Next week's USDA report is not expected to bring much bullish news either, even though the pro-farmer crop tour reported lower US maize yields. The Brexit uncertainty continues to affect domestic prices as the predicted no-deal scenario on the 31st of October looks less likely, calming export fears. And looking at UK wheat, it's currently competitively priced for November onwards to non-EU destinations on both feed and milling grades, although restricted to deep water ports on large vessels to far-flung destinations. Looking at the barley market... The current lack of domestic interest for malting barley is continuing to pull prices downward. Consumers are now just waiting for harvest results and letting the Brexit saga unfold. Again, Brexit is not helping the demand side of the equation as we wait for export interest on the further forward positions, depending on whether a deal will be struck with the EU. Feed barley markets are being determined by export prices and this price is very reactive to the currency fluctuations. Looking at the all-seed rate market, all-seed values have been reluctant to move on with the Matif futures market as a pound holds UK values back. Futures markets slowly grind higher, but the recent volatility and latterly strength in the pound has kept us within a range of values The widely anticipated import requirement of 5.5 million tonnes into the EU will be met with product from both Canadian and the Black Sea, with possibly some Australian later in the season when their harvest starts. More globally, all-seed markets appear to be becoming immune to ongoing trade concerns between the US and China, with recent discussions on face-to-face talks now seemingly delayed to October, along with very recent news that China appears to be diversifying its supply base by allowing oilseed and meal products to originate in Russia. Short-term domestic oilseed rate values will follow day-to-day the euro and pound cross rates and the Matif futures market. Just looking very briefly at beans, uh, the bean harvest is well underway, uh, close, close to completion now, and yield reports are generally quite positive, and the quality is variable, although are much improved on last year. Human consumption premiums are circa £20 for winter's varieties and £15 for spring varieties. Looking for your ex-farm values now, feed wheat 
is trading for September at 122 to 124 pounds and for November 124 to 127 pounds with a pound carry all depending on your X farm location May values are 130 to 133 pounds Feed barley markets are trading at 107 to 110 pounds for September movement, with November trading at 110 to 114 pounds, and May at 116 pounds to 120 pounds. X farm. All seed rate values for September are trading at 327 to 330 pounds, um, with November values 329 to 332 pounds, and then May values at 335 to 338 pounds. For any inquiries or grain marketing advice, please speak to your local Openfield Farm Business Manager. Thank you. Thank you. Jerome Fielder with the news and prices from Openfield. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. We've seen the uh, really terrible effects Hurricane Dorian has had in the Bahamas over the last week or so. Well, we might feel the after-effects of Dorian here and indeed Tropical Storm Gabrielle as well later in the week. It won't be too severe but it might bring certainly some rain from Dorian. Today, after a fairly chilly night, we're looking at a dry, sunny Sunday. Highs around 17. The wind's from the west at around 5 miles an hour, if that. Tomorrow, Dorian's after effects will bring a weather front sweeping down the country, so uh, rain is expected through the day. Winds from the southwest, highs nearer 12. Tuesday and Wednesday, they're a bit calmer and drier, actually. Maybe still a shower or two in places, if you're unlucky. Temperatures, they're back nearer 17, and the winds from the northwest, 10 to 15 miles an hour. Then for the latter end of the week, on Thursday, that's when uh, Gabrielle might affect the weather a bit, so breezier from the southwest, but a bit warmer as a result as we get towards the end of the week. Overnight lows for this week, 8, 9, 10 Celsius, that kind of temperature. For now, that's the forecast. That's it for another week on the programme. As I say, hopefully next week we'll look ahead properly to the new beat campaign. Now we know those start dates, uh, that and whatever else the week has to offer. Who knows, maybe even a general election. We'll see. More next Sunday at the usual time. The podcast, as ever, online as well. Until next week, have a good week's farming.